This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we are talking about episode one of the Wheel of Time, Leave Taking. The world is broken. Many, many years ago, men who were born with great power believed they could cage darkness itself. The arrogance. When they failed, the seas boiled, mountains were swallowed up, cities burned, and the women of the Aes Sedai were left to pick up the pieces. These women remembered one thing above all else. The man who brought the breaking of the world. And him they named Dragon. Now this man has been born again. We don't know where or to whom, if he was reborn as a girl or a boy. The only thing we know for certain is that this child is coming of age now. And we must find them. Before the dark does. Welcome to the Wheel of Time podcast, Dragons Reborn, or fellow timers, or fellow wheelers, uh, whatever you would like to call yourselves, we we will certainly be running through all those different iterations uh, for our lovely listeners joining us either for the first time or uh, coming back to us uh, from our other podcasts, whether that is on um, the Marvel shows whether that has been on Why the Last Man. Um, but yes, you are very welcome to this, the first spoiler-filled discussion of episode one of The Wheel of Time, Leave Taking. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host for this episode, Derek. Yes. Chris, unfortunately, is the third person in the Holy Trinity, or that is TV Podcast <laughs> Industries, and... Sadly, he cannot be with us due to scheduling conflicts with that dreadful thing called work. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, yes, it's not unfortunate that Chris is our other host. It's unfortunate he can't join us uh, for this episode. That, that is true. That is true. And he yes. is, after all, the um, the one of the three that has read the most books. So you'll be amazed at... The knowledge that he'll bring, his encyclopedic knowledge that he brings about the Wheel of Time. I have read the first book. Mm -hmm. And I've read none of the books. Uh, The last time we were on holidays, John picked up the first book of the Wheel of Time to read it, um, handed me another book, uh, another fantasy book, which I read uh, cover to cover and absolutely loved, but it wasn't the Wheel of Time. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't. That's what I was reading. I couldn't, I couldn't have even made the mistake that it was Wheel of Time. I don't, I don't even mean that. I just mean I was reading a fantasy book and I was kind of, it had the same kind of beats that I would expect in most fantasy books. Um, but it was completely different to the Wheel of Time has uh, nothing on it. So, uh, I have no knowledge of the Wheel of Time other than what's being presented to me on the TV show as, uh, as the episodes air. So I will be your guide for the non-book readers among us. Uh, Chris will be for the experienced book readers and John's the novice book readers. I think that's where we're going, right? Yes. I, I will be, um, I, I will be representing those people that probably think they know more than they actually do <laughs> about the, about the Wheel of Time. Excellent. Um, I'm currently into, 
the second book mm-hmm. uh, of the Wheel of Time, and picking up the first book was in anticipation of doing this podcast. Absolutely. And I have to say, I did absolutely race through the first book. Uh-huh. I really, really did uh, enjoy it. Yeah. And maybe I have a little bit too much in-depth, precise knowledge of the first book um, <laughs> so close to uh, the the first episode of the first season yes. of The Wheel of Time as well. well. We are all big fantasy fans here. Uh, this is the second big fantasy show that we've covered on TV Podcast Industries. We have been podcasting about TV for over six years now with many, many shows that we've covered uh, over the course of that six years. Uh, you can see all the stuff we've covered by going to tvpodcastindustries.com and you can pick up uh, one of the 42 shows, I think, uh, that we've covered uh, since the beginning of our time uh, podcasting. So lots and lots of stuff in there. Uh, the only other fantasy show that we've covered, I think, is... We- is the Witcher uh, would be the only uh, similar type of, uh, of fantasy show that we cover. We will uh, be covering season two of The Witcher uh, coming up in 2022. Um, but this is our this is our first big series from Amazon Prime. Um, I know we will be covering the Lord of the Rings show, which is also going to be on Amazon Prime in the future. Uh, so we we have got our fantasy credentials, let's say, uh, but maybe not uh, in depth knowledge of Wheel of Time between myself and John, anyway. <laughs> yes, and and maybe not so much fantasy, but we did cover Penny Dreadful as well with a lot of different mythical horror lore as yeah. well uh, okay. thrown into boot. But yes, as Derek said, please pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can support us by subscribing to any good or evil podcast player of your choice. Mm-hmm. Please share the podcast because that is sharing the love. You can also... Uh, head on over there to leave any uh, voicemails that you would like to for our feedback section and of course you can send in feedback through to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com as well absolutely and we do want to hear hear from you throughout the series we are lucky enough to be recording this podcast ahead of the release on amazon prime uh, coming out on the 19th of november for the first three episodes um but we do want to hear your thoughts about each of those episodes you can go over to our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries there'll be a spoiler post for every episode as it comes out where you can leave your spoiler filled thoughts there or as john mentioned you can email us to our feedback email address and there's a bit of good news and bad news as we go into this first podcast. We are under embargo from Amazon Prime, and it's a bit of a weird one. We are unable to talk about certain elements of the episodes until the Saturday after episodes released at 5pm GMT. So bad news is the episodes that we record won't be coming out until 5pm Saturdays after the episode airs. But the good news is you can send your feedback into us before that time and it will be included in the podcast. Yeah, it's in that sense, it's really good. Mm. Uh, but in the other sense, it's really weird that the, mm. there is an embargo effectively a day and a half after um, the the episodes are released. Just, yeah. just simply because I guess most of it will be out there um, ultimately. Oh, absolutely. So, but nonetheless, that's the terms we've agreed to. So mm-hmm. shackled. <laughs> I know, but we, and we have seen other podcasts that have been able to record their episodes and put them out there before uh, we've been able to put ours out. But that's okay. We are looking forward to hearing your thoughts and we do have some thoughts and feedback from you already on the episodes. So uh, looking forward to hearing uh, what you have to say about each of the episodes. I think with that, John, I think we need to get into our discussion about episode one of The Wheel of Time, Leave Taking. Yes, Derek, what are some of the episode details? Based on the book series by Robert Jordan, um, 15 books in the series. Um, this is based around 
technically the first two books within this first series but to to confirm here right up front this has already been greenlit for a second season uh, already filming that second season as well so even though season one only has eight episodes in it uh, season two already been confirmed as well so uh, so that's kind of cool yeah really good news and um, that we also have a season two of our wheel of time podcast as well well exactly exactly uh showrunner for this show is rafe judkins uh, rafe wrote many many episodes of tv in the past uh for me the one i'm i'm, I'm gonna call out is that he wrote five episodes of agents of shield um, excellent and he did nine episodes of chuck which i know chris our other co-host is a huge fan of uh he was also a contestant on the 11th season of survivor in guatemala john Excellent stuff. Mm. Yes, we are Survivor fans as well. And um, I have to say, I do not remember old Rafe Judkins from it, but I will certainly have to go looking because, yes, Outlast, Outwit, Outplay. I wonder who in the Wheel of Time will be doing that. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm sure uh, when you look back at the the 11th season of Survivor, you'll uh, you'll recognize uh, Rafe Judkins on there. Uh, He also wrote this episode as the showrunner for the show, uh, and the episode was directed by Uta Breisvitz. We know Uta Breisvitz very well. uh, Yes. Because she directed two episodes of Jessica Jones, an episode of Iron Fist, and an episode of The Defenders all over Netflix on Marvel Netflix when we covered each of those episodes. Yes, our Defenders podcast from the Marvel Netflix Mm -hmm. era. And now covering all the Disney Plus uh, TV shows yeah. uh, as well. So, uh, yes, a few Marvel connections mm-hmm. um, here uh, for ourselves uh, and The Defenders, which is, I guess, our big podcast that um, yeah. is the most long running, we along with it. Gotham TV podcast at this stage, yeah. as, as it used to be known, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but certainly podcast, yes. <laughs> with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Netflix stuff, yeah, there's plenty of creative connections um, uh, behind the camera. Yeah, absolutely. But I always remember Uta's um, particular style. We talked about it quite a bit on the Jessica Jones show, which is probably one of the most popular of the Netflix uh, Marvel shows. So uh, great to see you on board for this season of The Wheel of Time. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for episode one of The Wheel of Time? Sure. The remote mountain village of Emmons Field, nestled between the mighty two rivers, are preparing for a celebration. As the community gathers together, Rand, Althor, and his father, Tam, head down from their sheep farm high up in the mountains, and he meets up with his friends, Matt Calthon, the lovable rogue whose dysfunctional family is struggling to make ends meet, and Perrin Ibarra, the village blacksmith whose marriage is strained. Close by, Egwin Alver is initiated into the women's circle as an apprentice for the town's wisdom, Nynaeve Almira to learn and hold the social protocols of the community. At the Winespring Inn, Rand, Matt and Perrin are joined by Egwen as they share beers and the festive mood begins to take hold. But the arrival of a strange noblewoman, Moraine Damadred, and Aes Sedai and her warden, Lan Mangdragadon, interrupt the festivities in more ways than one. Moraine and Lan are here to discover the holder of an ancient power, the Dragon Reborn, who once destroyed the world and is foretold to return. She believes he resides in Aemon's Field and is certain that it is one of the youths in her sight. At that moment in the Whispering Inn, Rand, Matt, Perrin or Egwin. However, they are not the only ones looking for the Dragon Reborn. Other, darker forces are on the prowl in the Twin Rivers to discover their master. As the evening draws to a close at the inn, Rand and his father head off home, 
where they are attacked by a Trolloc. In the fight, the Trolloc is killed, but Rand must get back to the village urgently, as his father has been badly injured. But Emmonsfield has not escaped the Trollocs and their leader, Amadril. While they were beaten back by Moraine using energy from the true source, the village lies in ruins. Perrin's wife has been killed, and the town's wisdom, Nynaeve, has been taken, presumed dead. In the aftermath, Rand, Matt, Perrin, and Egwin realise that the only way to save themselves, their loved ones, and the village is to leave Emmonsfield for the White Tower, to discover their destiny and place their trust in strangers. Excellent, John. An opening episode, as usual, with this type of uh, of show filled full of exposition and new characters and new names. Um, Lots of names, all um, vying for multiple pronunciations, mm-hmm. I guess. Absolutely. It's so interesting when you see an adaptation of a book that you've read and see how other people are pronouncing <laughs> the names that you've been pronouncing completely differently for such a long time when you're reading. Well, yeah. that is definitely it. I think I, I was uh, calling Moraine an as I read, you know, as I was reading, mm-hmm. it was Ace Sedai. Right. Um, whereas it's I Sedai here. Yes. Um, and I guess, yes, that's probably and more than likely the correct version. Mm-hmm. But it's just I've gotten into these bad habits ultimately well, yes. for how I've pronounced them. But are they bad habits? You know, you don't get a, a, a read along uh, in the margins of every page of how you can pronounce <laughs> it. Like, um, I think I'm sure I'm going to call uh, Egwene Egwene throughout the show, especially <laughs> yes. how it's how it's spelt. I'm sure we're going to be mispronouncing the names, but it is all okay because we are uh, we are talking about characters that we are are seeing for the first time in the episode. But John, do you want to talk through how we are going to cover the episodes of the show? Yes, we are going to take our top three spokes of uh, the wheel of time. Yes, I see. it like is spokes on a bicycle wheel. Exactly. Okay. And one of those funky ones as well that mm-hmm. only has three. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, much harder to engineer, I believe. I but so. yes, we will be going through our top three spokes of uh, each episode uh, through the course of the season. For our, for our fellow listeners who haven't listened to TV podcast industries before, the reason why John has chosen spokes is because spokes hold up the wheel. Spokes hold up the wheel of time. Um and the three spokes will hold up the episode. We'll be able to cover everything in the episode by choosing three big points, right? Yes, there exactly. <laughs> that's the that's the explanation. If you're first time joining us, we struggle every time choosing what, uh, what we're going to name them. Uh, but that makes sense for the Wheel of Time. Yes, it, it was easy <laughs> enough when we covered the Punisher. We just called them bullet points. Exactly. Uh, normally, we just call them points. But sometimes, you know, the mood is in us to uh, mess around and play around with it. Uh, a little bit yeah once we've gone through our our top three spokes we will have our notes section Mm -hmm. and returning again to the podcast uh will be the pub quiz yes yes so it'll be the wheel of time pub quiz Mm -hmm. be a question each week on the episode uh answers can be sent in through um our email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and then at the end of all eight episodes, we will pull out a winner from all of those who have entered. Yep. We'll see who gets um, the the top scores and then pull out a winner. And they'll be in uh, with a good shout for some goodies. Uh, Wheel of Time themed. Of exactly. Course. Exactly. So uh, 
Yes, keep an eye out. Uh, they're usually observational questions in our Wheel of Time pub quiz. So uh, something that you will have seen on the screen in yes. uh, Wheel of Time or something that somebody says in the episodes. But what is our first spoke to discuss? What's the big uh, first point about the episode, John? Um, I've called it Jump, Jump, Jump. Okay. Um, and that is the, the, the kind of impending brightness that we we begin with the the impending festival of lights mm. uh, the feast of lights um, and uh, all the the village of Emmonsfield uh, coming together to celebrate that uh, in in different ways and mm. um, but it also is relating to Egwene's uh, initiation as well as um, I guess she jumped or she was pushed. I feel like she was pushed. I think so. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you probably would need it. Um, I also feel like she didn't know that was going to happen to no. her. Exactly. I think there was kind of a, a, a comment from Nynaeve, just trust in the river um, as she looks out over it. And it, it feels much more... Um, much more instructional for life and then she gets pushed into the river and it's like no no i mean trust in the trust in the current of the river to to save you <laughs> right now like <laughs> absolutely uh, this is really interesting again we're being introduced to so many different concepts in here but this idea of the circle of women and being uh, and this new apprentice coming in for for nynaeve and what gwen's place in this society is i suppose is a really interesting one this is something brand new to me uh in this from the story obviously um so it feels like this is a very um it feels like the circle of women is kind of a very strong uh group in this village but it feels like the wisdom this uh position that Nynaeve holds feels like a big guiding position in the village someone that's that would be a uh reasonably kind of a noble person or someone that gives guidance to the rest of the village would that be um, yeah i mean it, it it's the the society in, in this world is heavily matriarchal, it, yeah. whether it, with the Aesodai um, and with the circle of women that kind of act as a, a counterpoint. They're almost like independent of the the village council right. or you know group that that also lead the village. Yeah. And it's it's all about the you know they will heal people. It, it, it's preserving social protocols orders and, and so on you know, solve disputes but it, it, it's it's all uh, made up of women and at the head of that is the wisdom who is uh, Nynaeve mm -hmm. and uh, within this episode we hear them talking about you know uh, listening to uh, to the wind yes uh, and and the, the, there's this skill that they have but it, it's a it's a very skilled position is the wisdom, mm -hmm. and in this moment, not only is Gwen being initiated into the circle of women, yeah. they almost form this kind of I guess bicameral kind of um, political sort of grouping uh, within the village, and yeah. um, next to you know the the council of the village, uh -huh. um, but it's also. Um, she has been asked to become the apprentice to to Nynaeve. Yeah, it's, uh, two, it's two different things. Yeah. Effectively, she's being uh, being told that she has this sisterhood uh, that will be around her at all times, and also that she'll become uh, potentially, if she wants the position, which we find out by the end of the episode, she does. She will be the apprentice uh, of Nynaeve and develop her skills, her abilities to be able to listen to the wind, which uh, doesn't make sense to me in this episode. I'm sure something like that will make sense uh, further down uh, in the series as we get more explanation. But even in and of itself, this scene 
does deliver a huge amount of exposition, a huge amount about who this character is and what her destiny is in the future. Uh, and that she also has some form of magic, latent magic powers um, underneath everything is what it's revealing to me. Yeah, it's it's that ability. You see them on the, the bridge listening to the, the wind go rushing through the trees. Yeah. And, and both of them saying, can you hear that? That yeah. this kind of um, p- particular power that can pick up on that, as you yeah. say. And I'm, I'm assuming it's di- it's a different power than I have to uh, stop on a bridge and listen to the wind, that they can actually hear something else in it other than wind. So yes, it's, it, well, it, it sounded as well thrown into that, you know, this, this idea that they can hear voices through it mm-hmm. as well. In, in that sense, I suspect it, it was um, the 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 phase that we see here and we'll come Maybe. to that later um but it you know it sounded kind of evil and naive says i've never heard this before right uh, it's something new in the wind uh, and it ain't brussels sprouts okay. let's just say that um so <laughs> <Wow. laughs> but i mean the initiation i mean it's yeah. some initiation Absolutely. um being pushed off um a gorge into the river that river looked pretty cold to me um so i guess it was pretty hard on madeline madden uh having to be in it or and oh, yeah. uh, the stunt double as well sure. <laughs> um if one was involved so yeah, yeah definitely um you know th- this is a again it's another big piece of it and it, it, it's cementing what we see right at the start where we have the monologue from uh, Moraine uh, talking about the the destroyer of world, how arrogant men thought they could tame uh, darkness. Uh, but th- and we see that with the chase as well, with the um, the the other uh, Aes Sedai who who corner down uh, a man who is thought to be um, the dragon reborn um, and they they say the power was meant for women and women alone so yeah it, it you know again it's it, it's just building that world here um and i i think it was done really sort of well i mean the the vistas are really impressive i love the locations you know oh, uh, with the gorge the the mountains around emmons field and mm-hmm. um, and also the chase uh right at the start but um you know this this is sort of a, a big part of this world. Absolutely. And the, and the other thing I picked up on um, was this idea of the braid in the hair um, being put in when you join the Circle of Women. So we see Egwene uh, getting her hair braided by the, the circle that's around her and being told that this is this will be your reminder that you're not alone. You will never be alone. You'll always have the women in the Circle of Women as part of yourself from now on. Yeah, I like that that was used later on as well when Moraine's having the conversation with Nynaeve about whether she could potentially be the Dragon Reborn. I know we're going to talk about the Dragon Reborn part of the episode separately uh, in another point, but I just like that that came back later on and she, Moraine was able to tell from how big her braid was that she's had it for a long time yes. and that it's a different braid. It's not something that somebody would get the minute they join the Circle of Women, that it is something that develops over time as well. So yeah. I thought that was quite quite a, a nice call into the two of them. I mean, it's it's almost, uh, you know, the position of the wisdom, it, it's almost semi-religious, you know, yeah. in, in that sense. I mean, the braid is similar to some extent, I think, to sort of how the Sikh headdress and mm-hmm. how they have their hair uh, underneath that. There's um, 
there's there's the idea that you know you'll have no husband and no children if you become a wisdom you yeah. know that there's a there's a loneliness to this position um one that's that's a, a step away from the the village and the the, the community yeah and um, so you know this is th- this is a, a big decision here that Egwen is um is making here yeah. uh, you know and i guess to some frustration for rand and um, who who we see here as well you know at, at the start we get introduced to um this group of friends or of of rand and, and matt and perrin mm-hmm. and um you know we see that egwen has a relationship with Rand. He certainly has been besotted with her for a while. Yeah. Um, and, but he also, the, the, there is that really nice moment where he, he's sat on a rock and she comes to, to see him after sort of saying that she's going to take this apprenticeship. Ah, yes. Um, she doesn't ever have to say that she's going to take it. He knew from the start. Yes. Um, but that's kind of, that, that is something that I do really like about this, this, this idea that she's joining, um, this group and also possibly going to be the apprentice. It's not that she's been bred for this since she was born. It's that this is a step she's taking at the age she is to join this circle of women. But the fact that she's going to become an apprentice does mean that she has to cut off all ties. And what we do see within this episode is she's clearly a member of this group of four. Uh, They all know each other very well. She has a relationship with Ram, but she also knows the other guys really well. We saw um, Perrin wanted to stay by to wish her well. Matt was there to celebrate as well before other things happened and they all had to leave but yeah they all know each other really well they're all close to each other and she's effectively being told if you go down this path you have to cut off all ties with these people um and that has different impacts on on each of those members of the group yeah definitely um we also have matt the kind of the trickster the cheeky chappy yeah um sort of trying to earn money at a real great uh line from the peddler Padden Fane where he says ah my best and poorest customer Absolutely. Uh, really nice way you know th- this Matt is seemingly the adult actually of his family he's look he looks after his his two younger sisters yeah. because it, it it the the family looks pretty dysfunctional um you have his mother and father um constantly arguing the father uh, chatting up um with all, other women and mm-hmm. um, the mother seemingly okay it's the feast of lights so maybe it's to do with the feast but you get the impression that um she she would have um that amount of alcohol in her um on a normal uh weekend well so. yeah when, when matt brings her home you hear the young girl saying um Oh, is mummy sick again? Kind of thing. Yes, this happens yeah. all all the time. Uh, Matt's definitely my favorite character of uh, of the show so far, and and it, it's very interesting that you know the, the the cheeky chappy side of things. I'm not sure whether that comes across to me so far in in the episodes. He has some funny moments in the episode, but actually, he's quite a it's quite a sad existence that he has. Yes. I think the town itself, where it's based up in the mountains, away from big cities, everybody seems to have a job and a role. Whereas Matt doesn't. Matt seems to be just about holding things together and um, he's trying to gamble to get money. He clearly pays for all the food in the family because both of his parents seem to have no care for their two the two girls unless something really important happens, like they might be dead in the attack. That's when they suddenly remember they have two girls. Effectively, Matt seems to be the one that's taking care of the family. Exactly. So he's doing things like gambling money 
to try and get more money, basically. Yeah, and he, uh, he and stealing and yes, yeah. and he 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 gets his two sisters the 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 lanterns for the festival. Yeah, and um, you by know, choice though he wanted money. No, exactly, <laughs> he wants money, but it it seems like you know. W- we're here at a time with Rand Perrin and, and Matt where they're 20 mm-hmm. years old, but it, it feels like Matt maybe has been 20 years old five years earlier gotcha. uh, yeah. than than he is now yeah. because of the nature of his family. Yeah. And, and it's interesting in that he's probably the best, uh, as I say, he's my favorite character in the episode, but yeah. that's probably because he's the best drawn character of the episode, but he's kind of falling into a little bit of a, you can tell their story in in one line or one sentence, whereas Matt seems to have a lot more about his character um, at the moment. In, in the yeah, I, I've really, I, I love the character in the book, and I really have enjoyed the the portrayal of, of Matt in this episode mm-hmm. um, by by Barney Harris. Um, I, I thought it was really, really good and uh, sort of immediately drawn to him. So yeah. I think really good stuff. Um, and then we have and um, Perrin who is um the you know one half of the blacksmith mm-hmm. uh, of of the village uh, Perrin is is played by uh, Marcus Rutherford mm-hmm. and there there seems to be a strain here in in his relationship yeah. with his wife i mean even matt says well you're married now so you're effectively um your life is finished. Uh, that's always the joke when you're the it young, is. when you're the younger man who can yeah. go after anything anybody that's around you. Uh, always the, the joke for the uh, the mate who's married is your, your life's over anyway. Uh, but you're right. There does seem to be a little bit of a strain. There's there's definitely a moment um, that I caught where uh, Gwen has just returned from her initiation, um, and Perrin and, and uh, Rand are waiting to speak to her, but he's kind of admonished a bit from Nynaeve for being there. He's kind of she kind of gives him a look and goes, shouldn't your wife be getting some help from you? Um, it's very difficult to run the blacksmiths on her own, isn't it? Kind of get out yeah. of here, get away from, uh, get away from Agwene. So, uh, feels like there's something there between the two of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting as well. I, um, in the book, as far as I can recall, um, he isn't married. Um, right. Yeah. At this at this moment, there's no, I I never really got the sense of of, of that, right. um, and that it was his father who was the the town's blacksmith. Okay. So you know they are also adapting the books um, yeah. for 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 different reasons and in different ways, mm-hmm. and so you know some of these things uh, may come out uh, throughout the course of, of the series well, but yes we'll um, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about his marriage uh, later on in the episode as well um, yes so because technically by the end of the episode he's not married um no he really isn't so, um yeah. but let's get on to spoke number two mm-hmm. derek where do you want to take us to um let's go to the strangers arriving in town because that's kind of the focus of the episode we talked a bit a little bit about moraine and lan who um moraine has come to town to find the um, the Dragon Reborn. Uh, this is another big concept for the show, the kind of central concept, at least for this kickoff episode and, and probably the start of the series. This idea that there is a rebirth of, um, the man who brought the breaking of the world, who was called the Dragon. This was the person who, uh, tried to cage the darkness and failed and destroyed parts of the world. And this led to the takeover of women, this sort of all the things I'm getting from this episode and all the things I'm getting from the from the exposition that's going on, uh, particularly from Moraine. Uh, what's interesting is um, what, what I 
What I thought was really interesting in this part was Moraine and Lan are coming to town to find the Dragon Reborn. We see them watch a guy get call, caught by other Aes Sedai who potentially could have been the Dragon yeah. Reborn and then watch him get slaughtered by them. Um, and Moraine just goes, well, that wasn't him and walks on. Um, Lan seems to be a little bit surprised at that, that there's, that she doesn't intervene at all to do any kind of tests to see if it could possibly be the guy. Um, but it's interesting that effectively, any man who shows signs of this power, the Aes Sedai are uh, killing, effectively. They're taking them out immediately, which is quite, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, and uh, this is, as the Aes Sedai who, who kills the guy, you know, mentioned it earlier, power was meant for women and women alone, that men being able to touch the true source, mm. are, and the true source is the, the power, the energy that keeps the wheel turning, and um, yeah. that uh, they they dirty it, they corrupt it. Yes. Um, and this is where the complication of the story comes in. We're following Moraine from the start. She has a perspective on history of what happened and how men destroyed the world. And now we're already within the first two minutes of the episode. We're already meeting this group, Aes Sedai, which we don't know much about. We haven't been really introduced to them at all. And they already have this very definitive men can't have this power and you're going to die. So um, so it feels like they aren't to be trusted right now. And knowing that she has met with her other four characters or the main characters in this village, is Moraine to be trusted or not is, what's, is what the episode is, is leaving me with, certainly. Oh, definitely. And, and we, we see this with, um, you know, Nynaeve is very, very um, suspicious mm-hmm. and wary of the Aes Sedai. Um, she says, we'll be safer when they're gone. Um, there is the moment in, right. in, the, in the pool where effectively that com- conversation is hugely confrontational. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nynaeve like, lays it out that the, the wisdom um, that looked after her and who taught her how to become a wisdom uh, at the age of 13 how you know how they could listen to the wind and teach her with with all of that that you know walked to the white tower the stronghold of the Aes Sedai um, but ultimately was turned away because of her peasant accent and torn clothes Uh, and Nynaeve says she never forgot that and neither do I so there is also a very personal side to this um, I guess dislike or suspicion to the mm-hmm. Aes Sedai that Nynaeve holds, but it, it it does go beyond that when the silence falls in the Wine Spring Inn, um, as oh, yeah. as Moraine shows the ring uh-huh. uh, that really kind of announces that she's an Aes Sedai, and you see everyone watching her the the following morning after the first night you know oh, yeah. looking at part of it curiosity no doubt and you, well, you hear matt and rand having those little um you know little bits of projection and intrigue about well what can they do can they can she hear us even though she's just gone up the flight of stairs absolutely all, all these different things playing yeah. and clouding um the the ace that i and yeah 
Absolutely, but that, the whole uh, the bar went into complete silence the second Lan opened the door. Um, I've been in a few bars like that in Cork, uh, to be honest. <laughs> uh, the second they hear the Dublin accent uh, in Ireland, <laughs> and it's everything goes silent. Um, get out! You're not in our bar. We know we don't know who you are. We haven't known your family for generations. What are you doing in our town? <laughs> it's very much the uh, the reaction of uh, of Lan and uh, of Lana Moraine, uh, ar- their arrival here. But they are here to search for the Dragon Reborn. What I liked about it was. She says that there are four people in this village that could potentially be candidates, but she does go and question Nynaeve because yes. Nynaeve does kind of fit the frame. She may be in the similar age group as the other kids, effectively the 20 year olds. She may be in a similar age group, but she just has to prod her out and just find out exactly does she fit the profile. She has got some form of uh, magic powers, I'm going to say. Um, and she fits a, a similar age group and nobody really knows her exact history and nobody knows her exact past. So yeah. uh, so when she finds out that she's 25, well, now she's outside of the frame. So that's the point when Moraine decides, I'll walk away from this confrontation. Now. It's that potential to be able to touch the true source. Right. Um, this, this, still going to call it magic for this a while. Power. Yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think the other, other two kind of interesting things from this is... You know, the, I guess this distrust of the Aes Sedai, it, it's also, you hear from Rand's father, um, Tam, mm-hmm. he, he talks about, well, because there is a war in the south um, at the moment, there, there, there yeah. is rumour of this. Quite um, a few mentions of that in the town and quite yeah. a few people kind of going, well, you know. That's something that's going on in the south, not in our town. Right yes, now. we don't need um, to worry about. We it. have our own threats to yeah. deal with. You know, the, the whole thing of of, uh, of Tam and Rand realizing that the wolves are coming closer to them, uh, which is we find out at the end of the episode that's really happening because there's an attack happening and the wolves are being driven towards the village because they're basically being chased by something else. But what's interesting is they're effectively saying the town has enough to worry about without worrying about what's going on down south in that war. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're far enough removed from it yeah. it's a local pub others. for local people <laughs> in that sense it's a local town that needs to do with it, its own problems exactly yeah. um but you know he he talks that well the ace that i don't go to war they pull the strings it's mm-hmm. that idea that you know they're pulling strings and it's, it's that motivation aspect what is motivating them Absolutely. And, and and that's that's the really sort of nice bit about it i think the other thing is with moraine and lan arriving to look for the potential um dragon reborn Mm -hmm. um is happening on the feast of lights yes which is about um you know you you get that really I, i thought it was really nice view of tam and um rand back at their farm after the day down in the village Mm -hmm putting the the lantern out for their mother uh, it, it and rand asking well how long does the wheel need to turn until the souls that we've lost uh, come back into this world and mm-hmm. and and tam talks about how well it's long enough that we don't remember it's this cyclic um aspect of time that we come back each time and we try and do better um and I love the counterpoint to that in the village, not necessarily counterpoint, but I, I kind of like the, the the less philosophical way of looking at it. Where um, the the innkeeper's wife says, 
if you want your souls to come back, we need to give them something to come back to. Absolutely. Now start playing the music and enjoying yourselves, <laughs> yeah, you know. And yeah. um, so uh, that that's kind of a, a nice little um sort of sort of counter well, touch point, I think, with the Dragon Reborn and, and this whole festival. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose in, in my mind, I was trying to kind of piece together because the Wheel of Time as a phrase obviously doesn't mean anything to me at the moment. Uh, I'm sure it will mean something in the future. So this is kind of the first introduction to what the Wheel of Time is, you know, this um, idea that the uh, the celebration of lights is like a Remembrance Day festival. Um, we all have those in, in uh, around the world, this idea of remembering the lost, remembering people that are gone from your lives. But the the concept of the wheel of time from the description of, of Tam um, seems to be that they're, they're hoping for the return, the reincarnation yes. of their loved ones, but it is a reincarnation. It's not um, somebody coming back from the dead. It's a reincarnation without memory. So they, it's very unlikely that we will see somebody di- who dies coming back to the family that they lived with before. It's about, they want their souls to come back and be reborn into the world effectively. Um, but they may never, it's not like they're expecting that Tam's wife, Rand's mother, will return at some point. It is that they're expecting her soul to live on in an, in another reincarnated form in future. Yes, as the wheel turns. As the wheel turns. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess Shirley Bassey put it best: a sense of history repeating. Okay, in that sense, but it's that cyclic <laughs> element that? of of time that no end, no beginning, um, uh, and that's. One of yeah, it, it that's part of the big concept yeah. uh, of I guess the 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 religion or the philosophy or the mm-hmm. outlook of, of of this world and and how it plays into the the day to day in that sense. Yes, yet yeah, I, I totally understand that now as a as a as a concept. And again, I'm sure this stuff will flesh out as the as the season progresses. Um, but strangers arriving in the town is is this point, and uh, Moraine and Lan aren't the only ones. We do see um, the Eyeless or Fade. Is that the is that what uh, Moraine's calling in this? Yes, um, the the Eyeless. This yeah. strange looking creature who's ridden into town with no eyes and just its mouth visible underneath its hood. Very uh, very dark looking creature, but clearly in town for the similar reason. It seems to be in town investigating the same kind of. Um, Stories, perhaps, that it's heard that Moraine uh, heard to lead her to the town uh, about the Dragon Reborn, certainly looking for the same people, I guess, in the town. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is another word that I don't, ne- I didn't necessarily okay. pronounce it. Also known as a midral. Okay. Um, Mi- mir- I think midral. a mi- midral. Yeah, yeah. midral. It's when I was reading it, it, it sounded like I was drunk. It was like, so, but phase eyeless. Yes, definitely. Eyeless and fade are so much easier uh, to, to get the old tongue round. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, they're also, uh, looking for the dragon reborn because ultimately, uh, they are servants of the dark one, of the, the dragon right. reborn. Um, Collectively, the, these armies are known as Darkspawn, mm-hmm. and and the the phase effectively we see and um, the 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 horned creatures later on, and um, that the phase effectively is their leader, and there right. are various different creatures, um, in this world yep. that that are um part of the darkspawn but but the fade is almost like one of the the field commanders right, they yeah, yeah. actually 
um, sort of control um, the hordes of Trollocs uh, as well. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's there's a lot of different servants of yeah. um, the the Dragon Reborn, and so they are ultimately looking for um, their master, and um, you know the the person that will um, will be there. The other interesting thing about it is that you know we do hear um, from Moraine uh, right at the end, you know. Um, she says, you know, the dragon reborn, it's one of you, but there is one who will stand against him as well. Okay. So there is also that aspect to it. So at, at, at the end, before they get on their horses to, to ride off, mm. um, she does say there is one who, who can stand against him. Uh, the dragon reborn, it's one of you. You know, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but okay. there is that idea as well of um there 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 being a a savior in, in a sense as well right so let me piece that all together so um moraine and the aesodai are looking for the dragon reborn because it's the reincarnation of the dragon who in the past effectively almost destroyed the world yes Bro- who almost broke the wheel Okay, <laughs> in the in the parlance of Wheel of Time. Okay, yeah. so I almost broke the world, I'm going to say, <laughs> so I don't confuse myself. Um, they are currently the keepers of the source, which is the the central kind of uh, magic source for um, for the Ace and I. Um, so what Moraine was saying at the end there was there will be a reborn dragon and there will also be someone reborn that will be able to stop the dragon's yeah, that was... advances if the dragon is the thing that is going to break the world again, effectively. and. The Fade and his Trollocs. I absolutely love that name. For it's his, great, uh, isn't it? For his people. Uh, <laughs> I, I keep thinking of Blackadder with um, Blackadder the Second mm-hmm. with um, Miriam Margulies. Or she goes, well, hey, Trollocs, it sounds exactly like... <laughs> right. And in, in, insert... Something we're not going to say on the podcast, Yes, right. exactly. I get you. I get you. Um, so... The fades, uh, the fade, and the Trollocs are effectively looking for their former leader, who will uh, effectively go up against the Aesodai. So, um, so they're while the fade looks um, really, really scary uh, and really evil, and the Trollocs are uh, effectively slaughtering everything around them. Um, they're also looking for the same person to lead them, and I'm wondering what the intention of Moraine and the Aesodai is. If they do find the dragon, will they be trying to turn him or her towards their side? Or will they try to kill them so that the... Like the guy at the start. Exactly. Yeah. So it goes back to um, having to go through another reincarnation uh, in another 20 years or something like that. Uh, so interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's the two factions, I suppose, that we're seeing here uh, looking for uh, the Dragon Reborn. Exactly. The Ace and uh, at least at this stage, the, the Voldemort lookalike on horseback right. yeah. um, are, are looking for... The, the dragon uh, reborn yeah. uh, and so you know this is the the, the, the these are the groupings as you say the yeah. struggle but, um, very, but very interesting that Moraine did call out that the the, the reborn dragon could be a, a boy or a girl they don't know literally the only knowledge that they have is they were born around 20 years ago from this uh, festival of lights around 20 years ago there's four kids here that are all the same age um and likely one of them would be the the person who is 
the Dragon Reborn, but they don't have a huge amount more information than that. They have to have some kind of magic or latent magic abilities, effectively, to be... Yeah. Uh, to be the dragon they may not know themselves so that's why she's taken all four of them away from the town with her exactly and and i mean we we get the hints throughout the episodes you know there's talk of wolves being forced from the the mountain tops mm-hmm. into the valley we see the dead sheep in a pattern yep um and i'm all- trying to what that pattern was it looked like a, a big comma it did yes it yeah. did it, yeah a big comma um i i have no idea i i I really I presume it wasn't drawn in the middle of the book it, or something. Yeah, like it's that. kind yeah. of it 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 reminiscent of, you know, I don't want to draw too many parallels to other fantasy mm. uh sort of books but, you know, with the with Game of Thrones how the the white walkers um laid the bodies of their victims in that spiral form. Oh, okay. You know, there, there's a sense of that about it. Yep. Um and also we, you know, we we have um, the wind that both uh, Nynaeve and uh, and Egwene uh, listen to mm-hmm. that is a little threatening. Um, right. So yeah, these these are the 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 two kind of factions here. Right. And I have to say, I thought the phase was done really well. I loved it. I mean, there's there's a great description that the cloak just hangs. Mm. That even with a wind, it doesn't move. It's like stationary, ah, like a very kind of just which just gives the impression of this really intense absolutely focus that mm. nothing can affect it physically as well as from its mission and ah, focus absolutely and i'm sure a nightmare uh, when you're on set and there's a mild wind if you're filming outside oh no <laughs> absolutely <laughs> let us clip move um, <laughs> excellent uh, we talked about um the trollocs uh, there a minute ago uh, the um army of the fade i suppose or the army uh, that come in and attack the town let's talk about the attack itself because that is quite central to the episode in our, yeah in our final spoke uh, for the episode the massive village attack like what a way to kick this off you know everybody's dancing in the village as you mentioned to kind of uh, celebrate this festival of lights and then um ben i think it is he yeah. just drops to the ground because he's got an axe impaled in his back which kicks off this uh, pretty gruesome attack on the village yeah, I, I thought this was really well done. I, I, I loved it. I thought it really gave that sense of, of danger for the village. And I have to say, I thought the, the Trollocs looked really good. Mm. I, I think, you know, both devilish and, and really scary. I mean, I guess when you've got something that is kind of looking half human, half goat or mm-hmm. devilish in that sense. Yeah. It, it depends. Some in there as yeah. Well, yeah, and I thought they were. I think they look really good. Mm. Um, the kind of better than how I kind of pictured them as mm-hmm. I was reading. Very like, good. um, and you know, given the name, which can sort of get a few giggles, mm-hmm. I think they're real menacing. Um, and I, I, I thought they were sort of done so so well here, and I, I loved the attack here. I think. Um, there's so much going on. Mm. We, I mean, you know, standout absolutely is as uh, Moraine uses the power. I mean, it was just oh, so, so very, very cool. Yeah. Um, with the the kind of weave going up into the clouds with the lightning strike, mm-hmm. moving objects, all this different thing, and then you know, really with Lan and his sword skills. 
um, dancing around, mm-hmm. chopping away at the Trollocs to defend her as she she um, is defending the town. Yeah, this is really the true the, the the first time we've seen her use the full powers during this battle. Like we see her use it to uh, to warm up the hot tub uh, yeah. when it, when Lan's feeling a little chilly. Uh, in the I'm in not the surprised. Um, <laughs> uh, we see we we see her using it there. Um, but I really liked this. I like the the way that they've done the special effect of her pulling from the ground almost she's like she's pulling the power from the ground to use it to control things around her um we did see a little bit of earlier on with the SDI pulling down half of a mountain to block the path of the guy running yeah. away but here she's using it defensively um where she's uh, throwing out fireballs she's pulling apart bits of the ground and pulling apart uh sadly bits of the the only uh pub in town um, <laughs> to, throw, to throw at the Trollocs, which promptly collapse on the ground. I, I kind, Yeah, I kind of feel <laughs> Moraine had more to do with the uh, seeming sort of destruction and ruin yeah. of uh, Emmons Field than the Trollocs. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I love the shot as the, the wine spring in sort of collapses because she's been using the stones to hurl at the the trollocs yes and i love the dust cloud and how lan runs to kind of protect and Mm. and and cover her because she's also being caught with a knife from uh one of the trollocs as well and we we see from the because effectively there's two attacks there's the village but there is the attack on uh ran's home uh up the, the the sheep farm up mm-hmm. up in the mountains and we we do hear that the there is the trollic poison kind of on the blade as well that's right and um, yeah. from from moraine who who patches up his dad yeah and um, once they make it back down more than patches up she basically sucks that poison out of his shoulder using her powers yeah uh, and seals back up the wound and the nice little yeah. touch there is you see the effort now whether that's to do with the mm-hmm. fact that she's also been and um, sort of hit with with the dagger mm. but you get the sense that the use of of this power does take a toll on yeah. the user as well yeah I, I i took it as that i took it that that every time she used the power she was getting more um broken down by it um she is massively powerful by the looks of things but i don't think she could have sustained that for a massively long amount long amount of time uh that's partly why lan is protecting her throughout so she doesn't get interrupted and in, yeah. in casting the spe- casting the spell i'm gonna say um that's what it that's what it kind of looked like to me but a uh, really interesting battle there um but yes uh very sad to see the one spring in gone um, especially <laughs> yeah. because that's isn't that where Gwenno's parents uh, work and live? Yes, um, they have rooms uh, to hand that they could uh, effectively, if somebody else's house had been taken down, they could have moved into the Wine Spring Inn. But yeah. now the Wine Spring Inn is gone. There's no hostelry in town, I guess we'd call it, or no hotel in town uh, for anybody that wants to stay. Oh well, farewell Wine Spring Inn. Yeah, farewell. Uh, <laughs> um- but we did, would have I, loved to have drank in you, oh. <laughs> uh, of course. But I did, I did like that the battle though at the farm, as you mentioned, between um, Rand and his dad, yeah. and uh, and the invading Trollocs. You know, it seems like they had an all points attack going on where they were taking in everybody because they seem to live quite far outside the village as, as sheep farmers uh, seem to live quite out, quite far outside. But they were attacking there at the same time as they were attacking the village. So, you know, as we mentioned in the previous point, again, that this is about potentially. They also see Rand as a as a possible uh, dragon reborn, so they yes. are set, dispatching someone to get him. 
I'm not too sure whether the Trollocs are getting the message, though. It seems like they're there to attack everybody. I'm not too sure whether uh, Perrin was safe when they were attacking him or Rand was safe when they were attacking him. It feels like they were there to kill everything in their in their path. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the sense, I think, with Rand and I think with Egwene as well, mm. that they weren't looking to kill them okay. and and even matt managed to go go off and rescue the, his two younger sisters mm. and they go and hide in the oak tree outside of the village yeah and um, so he doesn't have a confrontation with them. no he doesn't parent does and parent and his wife do and parent seems to be as much under attack as his wife is and i thought rand was under as as much um attack as his, as his father was uh, in, in that scene. So yes. I just wasn't sure whether Trollocs are a bit more uh, of a blunt instrument and, and hopefully uh, this the, the dragon reborn will survive their attack. I, I, I think I think they are and I think that's why the Fade is there to kind of control them, mm. almost to instill discipline through fear right. because otherwise they would be the that rampaging horde and mm-hmm. um, that trash everything. And um, so, but I... I, I kind of got the sense in some of the scenes, just a few, because yeah, Rand is flung around the home, mm-hmm. and as you say, Perrin is deep in um, battle with the Trollocs coming into the blacksmith. Yeah, uh, but there were just a few moments where you got the sense that you know the the Trolloc wasn't going in with the big axe or the swords. Okay, and um, and indeed. The the taking of Nynaeve uh, uh, as one example yes. in that, okay, we don't know what's going to happen to her. We don't know whether she's even um, going to have survived. I mean, Egwen believes that um, she's gone, that she's yeah. dead. But they take Nynaeve here mm-hmm. um, as well, which yeah, could but- be part of that sort of link to the conversation that, Moraine has with her uh, around the pool. Exactly. Moraine kind of took her off the list, but she was on the list initially, uh, is what it felt like with that conversation. So uh, probably still on the list of the Fade, uh, since he hadn't had that conversation with her, <laughs> I suppose. Um, what I did really like about the battle as well is be- is that we saw a bit of um, the confusion of a battle going yeah. on. We saw how much was how, how many people were being attacked how many people were being killed and and eaten on the battlefield and and being um cut apart effectively by the weaponry and then we also see Perrin mistakenly kill his wife yeah. um during the battle too um with everything that's going on and and that's you know I know you, I know you said for, to your memory he wasn't married in the in the book but I presume that's going to have a big impact on him as a character going forward I I, I think so I, I I think the the really interesting thing in that moment with Perrin is just before you know he is going quite hard on the Trolloc yeah. after he's effectively put the axe into the Trolloc's chest and then once down on the floor it's just that frenzied attack by him and I think that's the really interesting thing is that he then is disturbed and but it's his wife and the the reaction is he swings with the axe yeah. and it goes into her her midriff Exactly, yeah, and, and I'm sure that's going to, as I say, play out uh, on his mind as the season goes on. Yeah, and it, it's to your point; it sh- it shows the chaos and the of of a battle mm-hmm. of war that not everyone is a professional soldier, and yeah. so um, you're you're being reactive. I 
I even like that there's a moment where Matt is looking for his two sisters. He runs out and he's stumbling around, avoiding things. But he actually stumbles over a Trolloc who's eating one of the villagers. Yeah. But the Trolloc is not interested. It kind of goes back to feeding. It's got a fresh meal of um, Yeah. And I, 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 the other little thing, little touch I really liked um, about this was, you know, you have that epicness of moraine using the power Mm -hmm. but then there is also that little scene with the villagers with their pitchforks and their own blades yeah once the the numbers have been turned from that epicness um from moraine start well you want a bit of this and and go in you know surround one of the trollocs and it, it's pitchforks and uh-huh. uh, and blades sort of taking one of the trollocs down i, I kind of like that element as yep. well that you know after the initial fight and scare of the attack okay with the numbers kind of maybe a bit more balanced um they're happy to wade in to defend their village as well. You yeah. know, so I really, I really liked, um, that moment, uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's really cool. Um, that's kind of the majority of the episode, really. Um, we're now off on the road, uh, with Moraine and, uh, our four major characters that we were introduced to here. Um, they, so I guess we'll find out they, they seem to be off to the White Tower. Um, yeah. which, may uh if if my instincts are correct for this episode may may possibly or should possibly be called the ivory tower um that the uh <laughs> Ace live in uh, that's my instinct so far i'll see how that plays out in my mind uh, as the episodes go on um but right now effectively they're being convinced they need to leave because if they don't leave the rest of the town and their families will all be killed by another attack from the Trollocs. If they get out of there, then the town will yeah. be safe. Is what they're and you and you see all the torches coming down Love that, from yeah. uh, the mountains. And you, you, mm. there's an interesting sort of little bit from Lan uh, speaking with Moraine, saying, "How did they get here so quick?" As well, mm. um, which I I think will be important moving forward uh, in the story uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I yeah I think that's our our three big moments covers mm-hmm. off a lot of the episode. Yeah. Um, Derek, have you got any notes for us? Uh, the only note I have, and I just wasn't sure. It's just because the camera lingered on it a bit long. Um, there was a moment when Tam, uh, Rand's father, is being attacked at the farm, and he pulls out a a, a sword, um, which has a marking on it, has a as a bird, um, it's a a heron on the blade yes. uh, of of the, the sword that he pulls out. It's just because the camera ling- lingered on it a while. I'm presuming that's something that, that is important. Is it something to do with his his history, Tam's history, maybe? Well, well certainly I think this blade will um, be explained over the course of, of the episode. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. And and you do see that moment as well where Rand is looking at his, his dad and... Um, who seems to be pretty handy with a blade mm-hmm. as well. Um when when he gets it, um pretty um competent with it yeah. as well. So again, another element of um the history of his his dad, but you know, the family as well. Right. Um I, I would say there's probably um you know the, there's certain things that aren't playing out immediately because, you know, the show is is introducing yeah um, and, and taking quite a large chunk of the first bit of, of um 
sort of the book really mm-hmm. the, the first part of the opening really um but i guess this is going to be breadcrumbed uh, a bit more evenly throughout mm. um throughout the series but uh yeah certainly um the linger was definitely there on the heron on on the hilt um, yeah i've just got two other notes really um one is you know, we do see Pad and Fane here, the peddler who is give it selling the lanterns to to Matt, seemingly oh, um, yeah. quite relaxed as the Darkspawn attack, and um, uh, as if he has has maybe led them there, or oh, you know, because okay. he he's a peddler traveling around, mm-hmm. so whether it's by accident, but I mean, he, he he slips off down the side, so you know, it's not entirely clear um, at the moment as to whether it's just that. He is the one that's led them to the village, interesting, uh, or, or whether maybe um, he's just kind of a relaxed chap, really. So yeah. that um, just stick out, you know, it. or whether he maybe ha- have um, more involvement with the 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 dark spawn uh, and, and be um, in league in some way. You know, I really just assumed that the only reason that the Fade were there was because they got the exact same information that Moraine had. Um, you know, Moraine knew before even getting to the yeah. town there were four kids in their 20s there. <laughs> Go check this town out, basically. So I just assumed Fade had the same um, information. So, And I, I guess there's a sense of, you know, ripples within the the source as well. Um, I just can't quite remember. Okay. Um, I think the other one, and it's more just a, a notable absence, is is that whilst the character of Tondril Merlin is, is cast, okay. um, he's not there in, in the village. Yeah. Um, effectively, this character is a glee man, um, okay. a traveling entertainer um, between all the different s- cities, towns, and villages of of this world okay. you know master storyteller musician good poker player you know um does plays it's kind of like that he goes around and you know gives the news that kind of stuff okay. as well you know yeah. so th- there are different ranks i uh, think you have gleeman uh to the the royal court okay but he also um is in the village at the time of the attack, so I they're introduce. I, I suspect they're going to introduce him in a different way yeah. at a different okay. time, right. uh, which I think is good because I, I must say I think this character is is really interesting. Oh, okay, so he plays a big part in the in this section of the book. Yeah. Uh, okay. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see him. I guess uh, down the line of the show. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I think with that, Derek. Um, Certainly for the non-Wheel of Time person, Mm. um, did you enjoy this first episode of the Wheel of Time? I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it. Um, The first time I watched it, I had the same kind of thing that happens when you're watching the first episode of a big establishing show when you're watching sci-fi or fantasy. Particularly, they have so much to explain about the world you're going to be spending time in that it sometimes feels a bit... um, I think I, I the word I used was humorless. No, it's not like I don't like dark TV shows or dark movies. All uh, I love uh, that's kind of one of the things I really love. But um, it felt like they were trying to get across so much exposition the first time I watched it that I was lost in the amount that I was expected yeah. to take in from the first episode. I suppose um, it's quite Basil expositioning, and I think that's the difference with with Matt is that he's actually in the moment of having to 
sort and look after his two sisters uh-huh. because of the issues in the family and, yeah. and looking for money and trying to make money. So, it, um, you know, the conversations feel more sort of 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 the day to day. And so you get a sense of the character, whereas people talking about things that have happened a long time ago. I, the context is great because there's the Feast of Souls. Yeah, but yeah. It, it it's like talking about church all the time or right. something, you know? Um, so it, it can be slightly, feel a little unnatural, I guess. Yeah, I, I, but I do think they accomplished it. But the second time I watched it, yeah. I, I felt like I understood um, what was going on. I felt like I was really intrigued to see what's coming up in the season and what's coming up uh, for the rest of the show. So um, I, lo- I, I do love these uh these kind of things in fantasy books, this, the, the quest, the, the gathering the group together, the going off to a destination, um, that, that's, they're always pretty standard of the start of a fantasy book. So, um, I do really enjoy them. And the, and I thought the attack from the Trollocs was a really exciting, uh, scene. I loved even the opening of what, of what the world has become and hearing some of the history, hearing some of the ancient history from, uh, from the older times that were not looking at in this in this show uh that's all really intriguing so um yeah an exciting first episode overall because it's getting me ready for the rest of the season pretty well uh i love the cast um i think uh rosamund pike particularly yeah. is is uh fantastic her voice uh, it's something that's always been really really good she's done lots of movies that have had voiceover in them and there's a reason she's got a really good voice and gone girl was one of her big standout movies and a lot of that movie is voiceover from her character and I could listen to it all day. I think she's really yeah, good at getting definitely. across uh, big ideas and complex, uh, complex ideas. Um, but I definitely thought this needed two watches uh, for me. How about yourself, John? Uh, did you enjoy this introduction to the TV version of Wheel of Time? Look, I'm not going to lie. I needed the second watch of it as well, actually. Mm. Um, I, I had to actually give myself a good slap across the face <laughs> because um, it's because I've read the book so close to when this has come out Mm. that a lot of the detail actually is very fresh for me so the first time i was watching it i was like going for example was tom drill merrillin you know and i was like going oh i can't believe they've left them out and of course it's not that they've left him out that it's an adaptation and they're doing it differently i think i approached that the second time of watching it and actually realized there's a huge amount of information, as you say, mm-hmm. being brought here, but it's been done in really interesting uh, ways through, you know, through Egwene um, joining the women's circle and, and that whole thing with Nynaeve that then sort of links in with showing that suspicion and distrust of the Aes Sedai uh, through her own experiences. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got that wonderful Rosamund Pike um, as um, Moraine mm-hmm. and just, you know, that detachment, that, 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 um, detached noble air about her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see a bit more of a relax, relax shoulders, um, with Lan, uh, certainly given that they bathe together, um, and the, you know, there's that wonderful, uh, Witcher-esque, uh, moment of, of Lan. Oh, and crossed with Ghost of Tsushima as well, the video <laughs> game, uh, of Lan getting into the tub. But so requires a, a hot tub scene. Yes, absolutely. Right. So, you know, and 
I loved the the attack. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really really good. Um, just showing off the the dark spawn with the Trollocs and, and with the fade, the power of the true source being wielded by Moraine, the the effect it's had um on you know our our four principal sort of uh, characters here of rand with the attack on his own home and, and the um the injury to his dad mm-hmm. uh perrin effectively accidentally killing his wife yeah. which is yeah sure to have uh things moving forward Egwene um with the loss of Nynaeve, the person who she's just pledged herself to be um, her apprentice. Yeah. And you have Matt, who is kind of out of the attack. But for me, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I really enjoyed this character through mm-hmm. through this episode. Um, so a lot of stuff in here. and But I, I think, you know, it, it, it's... It's essential for um, a series like this, yeah. and so I, I I normally rate our shows. So I, I give this um, three and a half Trollocs out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I would say I was probably three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm debating about whether I should do four, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely the second time of watching, um, I kind of just took it took myself by the old um shoulders and gave myself a shake uh, right. to just say you know it's an adaptation of the Absolutely. book it is not the book in yeah. in picture form and of course remember this is the opening episode of 3 released on the same day exactly. uh, on Amazon Prime so um so i'm sure getting all of this exposition into one episode with two more that you can watch directly afterwards probably uh, may help as well Definitely. But we didn't watch it that way. As always, we're watching one episode at a time um, for that. So uh, thanks for that, John. Um, I think we need to get some refreshments, John. I think we do. A nice beer at the uh, Wine Spring Inn fellow uh, Reborn Dragons. Uh, (laughs) Yes, we are going to the Wheel of Time pub quiz. Um, our first question for yes. this uh, pub quiz is... I'm not going to answer this out loud, but I'm going to see if I could guess it. If, you I'm sure you can. What's the question? Um, and as I say, this is very much about from the episode. It's not into yeah. the law. Absolutely. Or, um, you know, unless it's in the episode and you can answer it from the episode. Yep. Uh, so question one from episode one. What is the present that Rand keeps in his pocket all day before giving it... Uh, to Egwene. Ooh, very good. I think I know that one. Excellent. Yes. Um, and there's a little conversation with his dad about what yeah. he used to do as well as a as a young whippersnapper. Very good. Um, so you give an extra clues there, John. I know. Uh, if you have the answer to that question, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com uh, with the answer to that one. You need to have all eight answers correct um, by the end of the season, and we will choose a uh, a winner of the goodies. Uh, the the Wheel of Time goodies at the end of the season. We'll uh, we'll tell you what those are as the episodes go on um, and as some goodies are released uh, from from the uh, from the show. Um, but you can send them either weekly uh, as you get the answers to the questions, or you can send them at the end of the season in one big batch. Uh, we usually record our wrap up podcast about a week after the final episode comes out as well. So that's roughly uh, how long you'll have. So it's say thirty first of December of twenty twenty one will be the cutoff point uh, yes. for the 
Wheel of Time pub quiz. And, and we'll be putting up the questions on the website as well. So you can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com mm-hmm. um, to the pub quiz section yeah. there. Yeah. Just one more time. What is the present that Rand keeps in his pocket all day before giving it to Egwene? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of Wheel of Time. We will be back later today with our discussion of episode two, Shadows Waiting. I think for that one, it's going to be just you and Chris on that one, John, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Excellent. Um, we are, we are taking some time to delve into the, the three episodes that are released there on the 19th of November. And also, we will be covering Marvel's Hawkeye from next week, which is also releasing two episodes. So uh, we do have to split our time a little bit across uh, all the episodes that we'll be covering over the next week. <laughs> yes, we certainly do. And if you want to get access to all of those, as we mentioned earlier on, make sure you subscribe to TV Podcast Industries on your podcast player of choice. Uh, just search TV Podcast Industries. You'll get everything that we cover. Uh, I think we're uh, 628 episodes now, I think, roughly. Yes. So, uh, so yes, you, you should be able to get access to all of those episodes. Let's get on to some feedback from episode one. Yes. First up, some email feedback. You can send in feedback through email. Just uh, send it into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, first up, we have Coffee and Vodka has sent his thoughts about episode one. Greetings, fellow filthy chosen ones. <laughs> Being a champion of source material over artistic license, uh, I couldn't be happier that I remember very little about the series uh, I read two decades ago. (laughs) Free to try to enjoy it on its own merits. A fine and brutal world-building first episode. The Good, Rosamund Pike, Michael McElhatton, Rafe Judkins, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. showrunner, mm-hmm. perfect on-point kickoff to the rest of the series. The bad, cut-and-paste religious and spiritual references, unfortunately also part of the source material, irritating backlash from guys allergic to female empowerment and social change. Mm-hmm. Four out of five scruffy, nerf-herding beastmen. Peace and on to episode two, Coffee and Vodka. Thanks so much, Coffee and Vodka. Um, yeah, it's really good to see Rosamund Pike. I uh, loved her in so many movies. Uh-huh. And uh, for her to be on TV um, and playing Moraine, I think she really, really nails it. Absolutely. And yes, uh, Michael uh, McElhatton um, from Game of Thrones. Yes, yes he was... Um, Yes, I think his sigil was the flayed man. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, playing yes. a more a, a less psychotic person uh, in, in in this fantasy series. Yeah, there's uh, no one really more psychotic in the entire series of Game of Thrones than the uh, than the Boltons. And, yes, exactly. Um, there were a lot of psychotic characters in that show. So uh, glad to see him in a much more proper fatherly role this time. Yeah, definitely. And as for the irritating backlash from uh, from guys allergic to female empowerment, yeah, totally agree. It's been so annoying seeing um, posters out there for the cast and characters in here. This is a, a story that's been established for decades, and there's still people on the internet getting annoyed with the fact that, oh my God, this show is led by women. How could this possibly happen? It's horrible to see, but I it's really so weird. try to ignore it yeah. <laughs> because sadly those people exist, but they are easy to ignore. Which is great. Yeah, I I guess they just must be so angry all of the time about literally everything. Mm-hmm. It must be exhausting. Anyway, must be. Must be. um, let's forget about that and. 
focus for sure on this series and the episodes Absolutely. because uh, it is it's really um really being framed nicely with this first episode so thanks so much coffee and vodka yeah um, really appreciate your thoughts as always thanks coffee and vodka uh, let's get on to some facebook feedback from our group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries first up dr bob phillips says i enjoyed this a lot Loved the darkness and the effects, the cold of her ladyship and the unexpected beauty of the village. I can't quite work out yet whether the peddler, Fence, will save the day, but he's too well described to be a one-shot side player. Ooh, yes. Interesting stuff, uh, Bob. Uh, yes, that peddler... Um selling his words in Emmons Field, and we have that interaction between him and Matt mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Padden Fane mm -hmm. is his name. So we'll see how his character plays out yeah. um, for sure. But I think you're right. I think there is uh, there is more to Padden Fane. Yes, there's a little um, moment where uh, in the attack on the village, the camera pans to him uh, and coupled to his introduction, uh, selling the lanterns to, to Matt, mm -hmm. um, suggests that um, he will return shall we say yeah yeah hopefully we'll see him back in the future thanks dr bob great that you're uh, joining us for uh, this podcast about yeah wheel of time as well definitely thanks bob and um, also on facebook diana debreen maskell says it has been a long time since i read the series but this opener brought it all rushing back to me the casting is amazing and the score and set design just do everything to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. Every one of these leads and supporting actors just does it for me on every level. I fell in love with the characters I loved so much from the books all over again. And I just have to highlight what they did with Matt's story and character because I am so into this character. And he was so unlikable in the books. Mm. I have heard complaints about the opening with the, the Red Sisters, which I agree was an odd choice for hooking non-readers, and the general pacing. Uh, it was really fast-paced, and I hope that non-readers of the books were as drawn into the story as I. I'm so excited about this journey. Uh, thanks, Deanna. Excellent. I, yeah, absolutely. I'm completely with you on that. Um, in the sense that I, I think he is a standout um, in, in this first episode, mm -hmm. but I did really enjoy his character in... The first book that I read, okay. which is the only book of this, I mean, I'm on to book two at the moment, yeah. but I, I really liked his story, but I, the focus maybe isn't there on him in quite the same way um, as the point of view character, really, for that book, right. which is Rand. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just think it, it, this is a really um, great adaptation from the books for Matt, so I, I've really been enjoying um Matt's story here, and to reassure you, Diana, as a non as a non reader, um, I'm not I'm not completely lost. I just need to uh, pay a bit more attention to the episodes as I watch them to uh, to pick up all the stuff that's being thrown to us about the new world. But uh, but don't worry, definitely on board after the first episode. Yeah, thanks, Diana. Uh, also, Dan Lee says, as someone who has no experience with the book, I enjoyed this a lot, even if I'm not 100% sure what on earth is going on. There you go. There you go, Diana. Uh, Dan, obviously, uh, with you on that as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks, Dan. And that's a brilliant thing, actually, that you enjoyed it, mm -hmm. um, even though there is so much information to absorb and that world building. So, I mean, that that is really really positive really yeah. good thing good stuff thanks to everybody who sent us on feedback on facebook we also have a final bit of feedback 
a voicemail from Steve Brown as he live Steve's episode one of Wheel of Time. I wonder how this will work for Wheel of Time as a, such a complex show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's hear what Steve has to say. All right. Uh, here it goes. TV podcast industries. This is the uh, first episode of Wheel of Time. I don't know what this is about, but this woman's talking about all the men all ruined the world or whatever. Oh, they just threw her in the river? Is this some kind of like samurai test thing? Well, she survived the river at least, so the ceremony obviously went fairly well. <laughs> I guess that's handy. That's a handy power to have, right? To be able to heat up the bathwater uh, for your lover, I guess. That's pretty cool. Okay, this person riding in on the horse looks like they don't have a nose. Is that uh, he should not be named? Oh, I guess they were eyeless and noseless. Noseless. Okay, so it's like it's about reincarnation, and I guess this is a, a celebration they have every year, and they send out these. This is kind of cool, though, and they're having their little dance. And, oh, what just hit him in the back? Uh-oh. Oh, that's not good. Dang, these monsters are breaking into houses. Well, that was a cool move where she ducked down and he was able to, to move the sword over over and get the guy behind her. That was a cool little move there. Oh, dude, watch where you're swinging that axe. Oh, man. Oh, Okay, I'm intrigued. So one of these four is the dragon reborn, and she's got to get them to the good guys before the bad guys find them. Okay. Excellent, Steve. Boiled down the entire episode in uh, just a short phrase of one of these four is um, is the dragon reborn, and she has to save them before the bad guy gets them. That's basically it, right? It, it really is. <laughs> it's, it's uh, shall we say, it's... The Wheel of Time in a nutshell. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I loved um, your your um, live Steve there because you caught some of the big shocking moments. Um, and definitely a lesson for us all. Be careful where you're swinging that axe. Uh, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. Um, yes, I think it would be handy for uh, to be able to reheat your bathwater um, mm. if, if you had that power. Definitely. That is pretty good. And yes... The, the festival, um, the Feast of Lights, um, or Beltine, mm-hmm. uh, is, is really, um, you know, central to this opening. Uh, and, and it, it's a really nice way of bringing in, um, the concept of the wheel that keeps on turning mm-hmm. and that weaves what it wills, um, as sort of, pr- sort of brought out by Tam and Rand's conversation as they talk about, um, the, the the dead mother. Yes, yes. Oh, one slight correction, uh, Steve. Um, Lan is the man at arms for Moraine. He's protecting her. They are very close. They've shared a lot of things in their life, but not not a lover, as far as I'm aware of. No, they're they're bonded. Um, that yeah. that they they bond. Um, so I guess they're just very comfortable with one another. And yeah. um, to to the extent of a, a bit of joint bathing, sharing a naked bath, you know, as you do with your charge. Exactly. <laughs> it, it is both sort of, you know, very social uh, and it also uh, is good for the planet. It saves water. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much, Steve, for your life, Steve. I uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. Absolutely. Hopefully hear more of those throughout the season of uh, Wheel of Time. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Please uh, send any of your thoughts, theories and comments uh, on the Wheel of Time series uh, on each episode through email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or on the spoiler post on our Facebook group over on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV Podcast Industries. Mm-hmm. Please um, support the podcast by subscribing, rating, 
leaving a review. Uh, but importantly, please share the podcast because by sharing the podcast, we share the love. Uh, and that is uh, one way in which you can support the podcast. Absolutely. We are also over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries. Mm-hmm. If you would like to support us um, on a regular basis, or for a one-off basis, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI. Mm-hmm. Yes, buy us a coffee uh, over there. Uh, but, but thank you so much to everybody that's been supporting us through Patreon, through Buy Me A Coffee, but also supporting us by subscribing to the podcast and sharing the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next time. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow dragons, for joining us. It is a pleasure speaking to new dragons and having returning dragons i guess and um, even though you may have been known as something else like defenders uh, but remember keep watching keep listening and in the immortal words of moraine there are no beginnings or endings but this is the end of the podcast <laughs> bye bye, bye.